This podcast is sponsored by Barclay Estates and Management Bristol. Whether you're a landlord or a tenant, Barclay Estates and Management are committed to providing you with the best possible service. We provide a hassle-free service for landlords and access to properties all over Bristol and the surrounding areas. Welcome to Three Peeps in a Podcast, Robins Reunited. Uh, on today's show, we've got two ex-players, both from the Northeast, both Geordies, both are left-footers, all the best players are left-footers. Uh, both can take a free kick and a penalty, and both have still got links to the club now, well over, well, just shy of a thousand appearances and a combined playing tenure of 20 years. Uh, first of all, I'm going to introduce Brian Tinney. And Brian, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. So 551 appearances, 42 goals in total. Um, and I'll bring in the second guest. Um, and when we talk about double acts at Bristol City, you know, these two guys seem to be coming out the top of everyone's list. So it's Mickey Bell. Mickey, how are you, sir? Hi, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So, Mickey, I've got no from worries, Wikipedia man. 345 appearances and 34 goals, but that I think that's league only. So I imagine we'll add on a few extra ones on top of that. Yeah, I think there's a few more than that, mate. I think someone's been um, editing that Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right, we're going to go through um, sort of your, your backstories before coming to Bristol City. So first to you, Brian, you were a Youth Cup winner in 1985 with Newcastle. Um, and that was in the same team as Paul Gascoigne. And obviously this is Robins Reunited, but we can't hold up the opportunity to get a story of about Paul Gascoigne out of you. Have you got, to, I'm sure you've got many, but any you can actually share? Oh, God, he was absolutely mad. He used to passed his test before I did, so he used to pick me up for training and, and drop me off and there was a big a big lawn at the front of the garden and I would come there and I said, um, he said, do you want dropping off at the door? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he spun on the lawn, did like a, a spin in the wheels, all the lawns going everywhere and dropped right at the door. My mum and dad were going mental. He spun the right in the middle of the lawn. So mate, absolutely mad. I could, worse stories, but wouldn't be possible to go on here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you played 30 games in the first team at left-back for Newcastle, um, but it was in March 1993 that you signed for Bristol City from Bradford for 150k, and it was Russell Osmond that signed you. What do you remember about the transfer? Well, Tony Forstop, who was the chief scout at the time, he came up to, um, he was a Bradford boy, Tony, so he, he spent a lot of time in Bradford, so he saw me play a lot at uh, Bradford City, so... Yeah, he came up and had a, a few chats with me. I was out of contract. So, um, yeah, we talked about Bristol City, the club, and what to do, the aim of the football club. Then Russell came up with him another time. And I came down and watched the game. Really liked the place. And, yeah, yeah signed for Bristol City and had some great time. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go through some of those great times, great stories, um, but we'll come to Mickey now. So Mickey Bell signed um, in August 1997 for 150k also, same transfer fee by John Moore. Yeah. And that was quite a deal. You actually had a song that involved getting you very cheap. How did that come about? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think um, I think Scott Davison and um, John Laycock, who came with me to the tribunal, 
at the time when I moved from Wickham. Um, I think they offered quite a lot more money than I actually went for um, before the tribunal even went ahead. Um, and I, met, I remember Scott saying to me, if we get you for 250, um, we'll be absolutely buzzing. Um, and I, 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 well, as a player, I was just happy to be joining the club and um, yeah, went through all the tribunal process. Um, and it came out at 150 grand, which um, obviously Bristol City and everyone associated with Bristol City were buzzing about. But um, unfortunately, I left a few people at Wickham um, very unhappy. But um, but yeah, it was quite it was quite a nervy um, process the tribunal and, and that and um, you know I actually travelled up um, on the day um, um, with um, with Scott and John and um, and yeah um, buzzing for Bristol City but uh, Wickham um, yeah not too happy. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, let's talk about your debut. So, so Brian, I know that your first goal was a last-minute penalty against the gas, so we'll come on to that in a minute. But can you remember your actual debut? Yeah, it was Swindon away. I think uh, we had a man sent off at Swindon away. I, I, I actually created a cross for um, Leroy Rossini to score, I think, but we lost 2-1. Um, but, yeah, it was Swindon away. I think Matty Bryan may have got sent off, I think. I mean, you, you must have played in, actually, I think you played in uh, the Bradford-Leeds um, game as a as a derby. How, do, how does that compare to you know playing in that game and, and scoring you know your first goal in a Bristol derby? I came and um, we played away at Swindon. I made my debut and we had Bristol Rovers the first home game and um, obviously we got we got a penalty in that game and Martin Scott was suspended. So I ended up with the ball somehow. So managed to take it. Twenty five thousand people, no pressure. Um, we're both near the bottom of the championship and we're. We're both trying to stay in the division, so to score on my debut against them, and they went down, we stayed up. So that was a that was a brilliant feeling to start with. And um, as you said, I was at Bradford, and I had a similar uh, thing. It leads away when we're one one nil down, and we got a penalty really late in the game, and I took that one, and we drew one all, and and they were throwing coins at me and everything. So yeah, yeah, it was a good start for me. Good start. Well, what what a way to endear yourself to the Bristol City fans by getting your first goal in a in a Bristol derby, to not only level the game but also to send Bristol Rovers down. That is, uh, uh, you couldn't get a much better start than that. Let's come on to to Mickey and your your debut. What do you remember about your debut, Mickey? A um, little bit more uneventful than uh, Brian, um, but we we played Grimsby away. Uh, we drew one drew one all. Um, it wasn't, it was like, I think we were both quite fancied, um, you know, to be up there that season. Um, so it was a bit of a cagey game um, and it ended up one, it ended up one, one. Uh, and the, the only dramas really, the two things I remember from it were Steve Torpy got a really bad head injury. Uh, he collected Mark Lever, um, who um, actually signed for us years later. Um, went up for a header and they clashed heads and um, Torps had to go to hospital and we had to wait for him. Um, and the second thing were the fish and chips that everyone always goes on about in Grimsby, um, which were very good, I must say. But yeah, it was a really cagey 1-1. Um, not very exciting at all. Let's talk about goals. Obviously, you've both scored lots of goals for Bristol City um, and some free kicks, some penalties, some outfield. Obviously, Brian, your most famous goal came uh, at Anfield. Um, but 
what have you picked out as maybe that aside or maybe include that, but is your sort of favourite goal you scored for Bristol City? I scored a volley at um, Stoke away that went in off the crossbar from about 35 yards, I think it was, and um, it was the equaliser. And to be fair, that day, me and me and Belly absolutely ripped him. We were talking about it the other day, that game, actually. Yeah. And we terrorised him down the left-hand side and we were whizzing crosses in and there was chances going left, right and centre. And one just dropped him, you know, I volleyed it about 35 yards and it, it went in the top corner. So, Well, I'm actually going to play that goal for you now, Brian, so you can talk yeah. us through it. There we go. Well, to have that, I didn't know. But yeah, this is the one. It just dropped nicely and I fired it there and just managed to hit a volley and it just... In off the bar, so that was a. As I say, me and Belly were good that night. I must say, we played really well together, and we we caused them all sorts of all sorts of problems. Who, who got the assist there? I was trying to work out who got the assist. Um, who was it? Maybe Steve Jones, is it? Yeah, I think maybe. maybe Jones. Jones. <laughs> yeah. I think the most imp- most impressive thing about that goal, Brian, is is the kit. I can't I can't oh. remember that kit very fondly. No, I think that was the only time we wore it. I think that we. We tied it after that. It was that bad, to be honest. But yeah, for 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 those not not watching and just listening, it's uh it's the kit that's sort of lime and is it purple and lime stripes, vertical stripes. <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm glad you showed that goal. But to be fair, when you're reading out the stats before that, Belly got 35 goals and I only got 42, and he's a left back. Made me feel a bit embarrassed, to be honest, because he he scored a lot more goals than me. I should have scored a lot more. Fantastic. Well, just looking at that team there for that Stoke Stoke game, Billy Mercer, Mickey Bell, Keith Millen, Sean Taylor, Mortimer. I can't remember the first name. Paul Mortimer. Paul Mortimer. Yeah, of course. Brian Tinian, Ivan Testamatano. I think it was his birthday actually. I saw yesterday on 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 Twitter. What what was he like as a character? I've heard a few stories in the past from Joe, but um, any stories about Ivan Testamatano? He was a really good lad, Ivan. He used to he used to work so hard. He was an absolute diamond to play with. He'd, he'd always give his all. He trained hard, played hard in games, ran around a lot, and he was a he was a great lad to be honest. He was a, he was a good lad in the dressing room, I must say. And also, um, uh, Paul Holland as well. He he apparently yeah. came second in Mastermind recently. I saw on Jeff Twentyman the other night. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, Paul Holland, who played for us. <laughs> what, what was his uh, specialised subject? I, Takeaways. I, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. He 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 scored the goal at Wembley, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely I think him. He claimed it. I think there's a few trying to claim that one, mine. The one at Wembley. <laughs> I think Damien Spencer and there's a few of us, wasn't it? Bray trying to claim that one. Yeah, I can't believe he's on Mastermind. I'm not having that to be honest. Nah, I'm not either. I'm gonna no check. Way. I'm I'm gonna check my facts and I'll come back to you. But I'm pretty sure it wow. was it was him. Um, wow. let's keep going down the list. Obviously, Scott Murray, who's been on on the podcast a number of times. Uh, we all know what what he's like on and off the field. Um, Steve Jones, he had a fantastic tan. Anyone know how he got it? Yeah, he went to America for a whole summer. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember, but um, I'm sure, Jones, you won't mind me saying he was carrying a bit of timber um, the season before. And um, it was one of their moments when one of the, you know, the lads get back in for pre-season. Um, and generally, everyone had put on a pound or two 
um, in those days. And uh, Jonesy went away. Um, he was like he was heavy when he went, and then he came back. I think he lost about a stone and a half, or even two stone. And he he spent a summer out in America somewhere, and he was out running all the time. And I think Tins Tins will remember he came back, and he he looked like a different bloke. He was that's when he was really brown and he was like lean, and um, he looked like he was when he played for West Ham and um, in his early days in Charlton. But um, yeah, it was that summer where he went to the states, and that's where he got the, the famous tan. What did he think of the What did he think of the chant? I mean, I, I used to remember a bit of a rise smile, but um, was he happy with it? Yeah, he loved it. All of them, and um, yeah, he loved all that sort of stuff. He, he that yeah, hundred percent. Brilliant, Brian. Um, before we move on to Mick goals from Mickey, I've picked out another one for you to have a look at. Talk us through this one. Oh yeah, the pitch looks nice, doesn't it? This, this ends up neck, this one, doesn't it? And I managed to head it, I think. Head it then chest it. Yeah. And it just dips again under the bar. I like that one just under the bar, but yeah. So, so this is at Ashton Gate, and I, I'm not sure who we are playing. No, I'm I'm not. But it's... Darren picked it to Darren, and Darren's played the ball to me. And I've, I've just had a little, yeah. So you've, controlled it, you've controlled it with your head. Yeah. Had, a, had a bit of a coming together with the defender there, and you quite like you'd quite like chipping the keeper, don't you? Yeah, well, not that many times. Only got forty-five goals. <laughs> so, a couple of good goals there, I must say. From you, found them well then too. To be fair, I'm happy. Yeah, with I asked. Um, I asked uh, the the WhatsApp group for some of your favourites, yeah. and obviously, you know, the Liverpool goal, which you know we will cover briefly. Um, I'm sure you've spoken about it so many times, but. Um, that has to be the the highlight, doesn't it? And we spoke about it on the, the podcast with, with Scott Murray, and it was actually your goal, and then Sunas getting the sack was the reason that Scott Murray didn't sign for Liverpool. So he keeps telling us. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, to be honest. I've heard that story more times than I've heard about my goal, to be honest. But if he was signing for Liverpool, I should have been signing for Real Madrid. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, another, a number of, of memorable goals um, for you. Uh, Mickey, let's come on to you. I've got a couple picked out for you, but talk us through some of, one of your favourites. Um, I think, I think there's, a, there's a few, really, for, di- for different reasons. Um, me, you know, the, the, my first goal I scored for the, for the club was against Luton um, from the pen spot. Um, I think similar to Tins, really, um, like an injury where Scotty got injured. I think Sean Gorter was injured or he wasn't playing. And he was taking the penalties at the time. And he, he was very hit and miss, Sean. He, he probably, well, I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Um, but yeah, we got one against Luton. And um, yeah, managed to stick it away and then stayed on the penalties from then. Um, and then in that season, we beat Rovers at home 2-1. And um, I scored a penalty at the away end where it was packed with the, the Rovers fans. And um, I, I just remember stepping up and just seeing a sea of blue and white. And I just thought, I cannot miss this. It was nil-nil at the time. And I just thought, I just cannot miss this. And uh, I just reversed it into the corner. And the, the keeper, as soon as the keeper went the wrong way, I was, I was so pleased and relieved. Um, and then um, I had a... Um, a couple of free kicks against Plymouth 
um, in the same game, which um, one in you know one corner, one in the other, and um, yeah, that game I should have scored me one and only hat trick actually in that game. Um, Greg Goodridge really late on, we went through um, like literally two on one with the keeper, and he could have squared it and he shot and he put it wide. So you can imagine that would have been me first and only hat trick as a pro. Um, so you can imagine the choice language that was flying his way um, during the game and after the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't best pleased. And I think the, the probably the one that um, sticks out for me uh, was uh, we played Cambridge at home um, and um, the TV, the, the TV had put a camera in the top corner of the of the net um, and I was quite away out. I was probably about 25 to 30 yards out and I hit it and it actually hit the camera in the top corner. And in that game, again, I managed to score free kick as well. So that was another game I got a brace in really. Um, but yeah, um, you know, all, all four different reasons, um, you know, sort of great, great, great memories really. And, you know, um, sort of goals that stick in my head. I'm going to pick out a bit of a collector's item for you here. Talk us through this one. So it's, on a, it's a right foot goal. Here we go. Aaron Brown passes it inside to you. Oh yeah, Barry. Yeah, Barry, yeah. top corner. You want you want a goal. You want a camera in the net for that one as well. Yeah. How, did, didn't score many goals with your right foot, or did you? Um, I scored a few. Um, did score a few. Um, that was Paddy Kenny and goal as well. Um, for Barry, that was Barry at home. Um, he didn't have, I've got a picture of that somewhere and he's just watching it go in over his left shoulder which is brilliant and um, yeah I just remembered at the other end when we played Robbers on that um, when we played in the uh, MLDV or whatever it was called trophy where Lee Matthews scored two goals I actually scored the third goal in the second half with my right foot again um, I was having a bit of a ding dong with Lewis Hogg who played for Robbers at the time and um, you know, a bit a bit of chit chat going either way. And um I cut inside him and um, hit it in the in the far corner. Um so again, that was a nice one. I'll give him a bit of stick for that on the on the way back to the halfway line. I bet. And there's another one here. It's um Colchester, and you scored the winning goal to win four three. So check this one out. Free kick. This is free kick, isn't it? Yeah. Left foot, beautiful. But that was you know, 4-3, to win 4-3 away, obviously getting that winning goal and a, a, a trademark yeah. trademark free kick. Did you have any, have any running battles with people like your, you know, your friend here, Brian Tinian, of who was going to take the free kick? Or was it decided on the position on the pitch that the free kick was, who was going to take it? We were chatting about this the other day, tra- training um, at the academy. And we, we would... It was generally like who who was who was playing well if you fancied it, and we we'd really we talk to each other, and and I'd say to Tins, I think this is more you than me, mate, and he'd say the same vice versa, really. Um, Tins tended to take the ones a little bit further out. Um, I was more confident, probably twenty, yeah, it's about twenty five in, and I think Tins was probably more confident, probably 22, a bit bit further outside the box, 22 to 30. 
yards out. So I think he had a better range um, of shooting than myself. Um, well, I've got, I tend to sort of bend them and um, curl them more than Bry. Bry is more of a, a strike than a, than a than a bend or a curl, you know? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the the art of, of taking a free kick, which we've got two specialists on here. How much is involved for you in terms of coming to you, Brian, in terms of the setup, the whip, the power, the placement, whether you hit the, the you know, the, the, the inflation point of the ball, the laces, all that sort of stuff. What goes into, into taking a great free kick for you? To be honest, me and, me and Mickey used to take bags of balls out of the training ground and stay behind and, and practice them. So we knew who was better in what area. As Mickey said, he was, he was better when the ball was a little bit closer and just outside the box and when it got a little bit further out. But that was from practice and that was from from setting balls up in the training ground, just practicing one after the other. We used to do it. We used to do the same with um, with crossing. We used to stay behind, get some bags of balls, practice the crosses, near post, far post, pull them back. And it's all just practice, really. And you feel it then. You feel where the sweet spot of the ball is, really, and where you're comfortable striking that ball in, in, in when you get the free kick or, or wide free kicks or crosses, really. It's all the same. You need to, to practice to get a, a comfortable technique in where you're comfortable striking that ball from wherever you are. And it was practice. And we say, we were saying to each other and we were talking, at the, as Belly said the other day at the academy, and it doesn't just happen. You know, Mickey Bell wasn't brilliant in free kicks because he just turned up and thought he was going to be good. You know, we practice them and we practice, practice, practice. And we say to the young players all the time, whatever you want to do, however, however you want to, good you want to be, you have to practice whatever you do. And, and it was just practice, really. And Belly was probably a better free kick taker than me, but he would give me the odd one. Or I used to say to Belly, because I knew he wanted, I'd say, I'll run over it, Belly, and then you hit it. So then I'd run and take it then. And he used to say, you... <laughs> I used to, the only way I'd get a free kick sometimes, <laughs> I was going to run over it. didn't used to run over it, I used to hit it and used to go mad. But yeah, we used to, we used to practice them and enjoy it, you know what I mean? We used yeah. to enjoy it. And, and obviously when you're practicing it in the training ground, is it as much about hitting a target? I think Scott spoke about talking, um, you know, about hit, trying to hit like a postage stamp or like a, a peg that was hanging down. So actually trying to hit the target rather than the technique. Yeah, I, I used to I used to move the ball around, um, and uh, w- with the um, you know the sponsors logos and that on the ball, and um, and just familiarise me like when the ball's on the floor, and then you could you know what part of the ball you're hitting. So I try and position the ball exactly. You know, like golfers have a a line on the ball or something like that. You'd actually put like the what well, we played with the mitre footballs, then we then so. Like the mite, I'd, I'd, I'd either put it um, vertical or horizontal, or do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd just do stuff like that and experiment. And I, yeah, I, I used to, when I hit the far corner, I used to actually aim for just outside the far post um, and just try and get that consistency of bend and curl on it. And then when I put one over the wall, I we used to stick a wall of mannequins up um, and I used to just, I like one of the mannequins I'd like go over their head the same one so there was one just inside um you'd have one in on the post and one just inside so I'd go in between the head of the next two and try again to hit the side net and bending it sort of back on itself um but yeah as Bryce said it was just um 
it was just practice and um we we did we did do that a lot to be fair yeah we we spoke about the range um but i imagine both of you being left footed you wanted the free kick on the right hand side yeah if it was ever on the left hand side who who would take him on the left hand side or we would you try and try to do something different Nah, t- Tim's normally there. <laughs> so you can have that one, Brian. <laughs> yeah, we, we did have Scott Murray coming over a few times, and uh, like t- Tim's will tell you, we used to just stare at him, and he used to just walk off like a naughty little dog. You know, like when you step, you give your dog a, a filthy look, and the dog walks off with its tail between its legs. That's a bit like Scotty used to do with us. <laughs> Brilliant. So when the when the free kick was on the left hand side, Brian, you know, obviously a left footer and a keeper probably knows you're both left footers, and he knows you're either going to come in on the left hand side. What what different? Did someone else take it right footed or? No, as Danny said, nobody used to come for the free kicks. Really, there was just used to be me and him on them all the time. So if it was shoot, we just cross it to the far post or whiz it across the box. So there was no one who come and try and take him to be honest. So we. If we didn't shoot, we'd probably put a, a decent delivery in the box, to be honest. Fair play. Yeah. So, as I said at the start, um, you guys are a bit of a double act. Um, you know, it, it, it was that almost telepathic, it's been described on Twitter as a bit of a telepathic relationship that you had in terms of you knew where he was going to be and vice versa. How did you create that success, successful partnership? Um, coming to you, Brian, first. And th- was it natural? Did you work at it? How, how, did, it, how did it come about? Yeah, we got we got on well with each other. As soon as he, as soon as Nicky walked through the door, we were we got on really well. Like two Geordies, no one else can understand us. So we 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 trained together well. Then then we started playing the games, and then we started to to understand each other's game. To be honest, and we were I knew every bit of what Mickey was going to do in and out of possession. We used to talk about um, the opposition we were playing against and their weakness. And they'd switch off, and I'd be able to put Mickey in on a one-two, and we just become like it was so easy to play with each other, and we knew the teams, like the lesser teams and the and the players in that division who we'd we'd cause major problems to. So it was it was good because we got on well on and off the pitch, and we used to help each other so much on it. We wanted each other to do well, to be honest, and and I think sometimes now you don't have players staying at a club for a length of time where you get that partnership and you get that understanding on the pitch. And we used to um, we used to understand each other like unbelievably well to be honest. And we used to link up and we used to we used to really love playing in the, in that on that left hand side together to be honest. And we used to we used to enjoy causing people major problems to be honest. Yeah and coming to you Mickey for for someone who was I don't know, you might prove me wrong, but in a flat back four, you, you always played more as a wing back than a than a typical left back because you had that relationship. And I don't know if, if you bombed on that someone would would pull in or you'd pull someone in. Did you prefer sort of playing as a as a traditional left back or more as a, a as a wing back in like a three five two? Yeah, I think I was bought I was bought really to come and play wing back. Um and that that's where uh, City had a you know, seen me play, um, Tony Forfrop, who came and watched me a lot. Um, you know, watched me in that position playing for Wickham, which was uh, the manager was John Gregory at the time at Wickham. Um, so I was always more comfortable getting forward. 
Um, so when we went to a back four, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't that traditional left back, if you like. You know, like Matty Hill was more a centre half sort of left. He's more of a defender, um, whereas I was more of an attacking player. So, you know, that that I thought if I sit back and defend, um, that's not my game, and I could find myself quickly out out of the team. So I've got to play to my strengths as as well. Um, you know, to to you know to obviously help the team. Um, and and show everyone what I'm good at. And um, like I say, having Brian on the on the, on the left of of the midfield, whether it was a three or a four, was perfect for me because his movement. Um, you know, they they talk about it now in modern day coaching. Um, you know, Brian did all that. Um, you know, was that ninety seven? Was it when I signed? I mean, you know, years and years and years. His movement coming off the left on the left side, picking up them little half positions where defenders and midfielders didn't know who was picking him up and then I all I had to do is find him with a pass and then make a run and um, he would either he'd either put me in or he'd cross it himself or he'd hit a diagonal um, on the other side so we we didn't try and overcomplicate anything um, you know we we did build up that relationship really really quickly um, we we sort of almost let you say we knew when he pulled wide, I knew he's coming inside, and and when uh, vice versa, when he when he went um, inside, I knew he's going to go outside or drop deep, um, and and yeah, we just complemented each other really well. Mm. Interesting what you said, Brian, about um, sort of in the modern day, the the players don't hang around uh, as much, um, and also the 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 fact that we can now make you know five substitutions out of nine. The team changes a lot more, and the formation changes a lot more. So those those telepathic relationships struggle to get going, don't they? Yeah, that's right. They, they rotate the squad now a lot as well. They seem to find it really hard in football now to play forty six games a season. It must be really difficult. Uh, <laughs> we used to just we used to just play when we were fit, and you were you were you were mostly playing well. Then you'd stay in the team. So we knew exactly. We knew Scott Murray would be wide. We, we knew me and Mickey would be linked, and so if they if they blocked our side off, then there was Scotty on the other side to play it across there. So we always had options. But yeah, I think it's a major thing in football to have. You look at Sean Taylor and Lewis Carey as a centre half partnership. You, you you've got to have partnerships. You've got to understand what each other are doing. You know, to to create and hurt people and be good, you have to you have to play and, and work with each other a lot and. Me and Mickey must have played like 300, 300 not times together on that left-hand side. And, and we, as, as Mickey said, we knew each other inside out. You know, my movements would dictate what Mickey did and what Mickey did would, um, would dictate what I did. So we knew exactly what was going on. Great. Okay. What well, one of the one of the reasons we set up Robins Reunited was to get some stories about player culture, whether it's in the changing room, nights out, on the team bus. Mickey, uh, we've got some stories from the other players about you playing a lot of cards on the bus on the team coach. Do you remember uh, any funny stories? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember a few. Um, I, well, I mainly remember a lot of the boys emptying their bank accounts in the. Mind pocket to be honest um but yeah we used to have um we we used to have a a good laugh on the coach um you know going to the game and coming back generally me and me and bry would um it'd be a quiet one going up um and we talk a lot about the game and then 
uh, you know, me and Bri would uh, have a little debrief um, after the after the game on the coach coming back, and then yeah, and then I'd find my way to the back of the coach and um, play play a bit of cards with the boys. Yeah, I also heard a story about a dart. Any, anything you want to tell us about a story about a dart, Mister uh, a Mister Tony <laughs> Thorpe? Oh God, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, I think it was one of them situations where you, you you're in the in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, we we were having a bit of a laugh, and um, Thorpey, um, you know, unfortunately for him, once he'd had a sniff of the barmaid's apron, um, he was uh, struggling a bit, and um, he he just threw a dart out the side of his hand, messing about, and it managed to hit me in the hit me in the cheek. Um, but um, apart from that shot at darts, I don't think I ever seen him hit the board apart from that. So, you know, it was, um, yeah, unfortunate for me. But, um, but yeah, just uh, just one of them things, really. Blimey, blimey. Brian, have you got anything to add? Can you top any of those stories? No, no. I used to try and keep out of the way of them. Um, <laughs> honestly, I used to... Uh, Try and stay clear of that. Just go somewhere quiet and have a few, a few beers out the way. And, but I'm sure there's some stories to be told. I'm sure we had a great story um, in a previous episode about Sean Taylor at a phone party heading a disco ball. That was one of my favourites. <laughs> you there for that one? He had anything in sight. Sean. If, he's, if he's heading something, he was happy. Wasn't he? And he used to be funny because me and. Uh, me and Mickey, because when Sean got the ball, me and Belly would be screaming to just give it to me and me and Mickey. And he used to um, sometimes just like whack at Sean and we'd be going mad. And he'd pull his gum shield out. He'd be trying to he'd be trying to shout at me and Mickey with his gum shield in it's like spit going everywhere. And he'd pull his gum shield out and start having a go. We'd be like, just give us it, don't just kick it. He was he was so funny. He was a great lad though, Sean, great lad. To to allow to, Brian to allow you guys to play that attacking football, how how good was it to have people like Sean Taylor, Lewis Carey, you know Danny Coles behind you as as, as people that you knew is if you did lose the ball that there was a good chance that that they were going to scoop it up for you. Well, yeah, every 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 team is based on a really good back four of defence, and obviously as as you know, Mickey was a really um, attacking fullback. So then Sean Taylor would know then to just cover around on that side. Lewis Carey is one of the, if not the best one-on-one defender I've, I've seen when I was at the football club. Um, so, yeah, when, you, when you've got attacking full-backs and you've got attacking players, then you need to have reliable and good defenders. And Sean Taylor and Lewis Carey for two, were, and Danny Coles, to be fair, was one of the best defenders as well, to be honest. So, yeah, you have to not get the back and defend well to allow the flair players to go and play. Absolutely. And also goalkeepers, obviously you guys, um, be- between you, have got 20, were there for 20 years. You've gone through a number of goalkeepers. Um, I think when you signed, uh, Brian, it was probably Keith Welch in goal. And he was someone who was always really consistent and and not necessarily much of a much of a shouty keeper from, from me as a fan watching, but someone who you always knew and could rely on to, to, to scoop up and make a save. Well, Welch, he was... Um was before the times, really, the, uh, with the feet, where goalkeepers had to be good with the feet. Welshie was before his time, because he was absolutely brilliant with his feet. He used to ping passes. 
He used to be comfortable with a back pass, and he was he was outstanding goalkeeper. Welsh, he was he was really good. And um, as I say, if he was playing now with all the back pass and the hitting the exit routes and dropping balls in, he'd have been outstanding in the game now. Welsh, for sure. Mm. We spoke to you, Mickey, at the very start about your chant, but Brian, your 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 chant was, um, you know, I don't know if you can repeat it on on the podcast, but it starts with Tim Mann is a something, he wears a something hat. Does that ever cross over <laughs> from the from the pitch to you know they chant it at you when they see you walking through town or you know how, how does that how does that feel to have have a chant like that for you? And it's an iconic one, to be fair. To be honest, when when supporters and you've got a full stadium and they're shouting your name and singing a song about you, it's the biggest part of the game you miss, to be honest. There's no better feeling, and Belly's had it when he's whizzing them free kicks and whizzing crosses in. When that crowd is singing your name or singing a, a song about you, it's one of the best ever feelings. Do you know what I mean? To play in front of a, a full Ashton game and singing your name and you've done something well and good. It's unbelievable, honestly. It's a, it's an unbelievable feeling. You wouldn't know unless you've been in that position. You wouldn't you you wouldn't be able to believe the feeling really. And I'm sure Belly feels exactly the same. And and how hard is it to replace that once you stop playing? That feeling of scoring a goal, that feeling of having a a chant sung for you. You obviously now I know Brian, you get a kick out of developing you know young players and the player pathway and all of that, but. But Mickey, how did you how did you replace you know that that feeling of, of scoring a goal and, and and things like that? Is it something that you know? I know Gaza, for example, has really struggled with it, and there has to be sort of some you know thought and feeling that goes into almost replacing it or dealing with that. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't think I don't think you can replace that personal feeling that you get. Um, you know, when when things like that happen to you. Um, so, you know, the, the elation when you score a goal is, um, you know, is unbelievable, um, to be honest. And then when, like you say, you're going back to the halfway line and everyone's chanting your name and, um, you know, the, the hairs on the back of your neck um, go up and it, it just gives you a real, a, a massive feeling of pride and just everything, really. You just get this, like, rush of emotion. Uh, um, so I don't think anything really can um, that 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 feeling replace it. I mean, for me, similar to Brian, with me, you know, coaching young players um, at football and and you know, sort of senior lads as well, which I have done over the years, and and seeing them get on and seeing them, you know, you know, scoring goals and doing well. You know that gives you a a, a massive sense of uh, satisfaction. Um, you know I don't think anything can replace actually playing, but um, that that is a that is a good second. You know when you you're seeing you know lads that you're coaching and having an effect on doing doing well and hopefully one day following in your footsteps. You know exactly, and obviously for you having having Sam now in the first team squad, you're almost able to live a bit vicariously through him. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've tried to, I've tr- tried not to be like that, to be honest. Um, you know, I've got a, well, like uh, every dad, hopefully I've got a great relationship with Sam. Um, we talk a lot, um, you know, about, you know, football and, you know, life in general. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just like, unbelievably proud um of, of what he's what he's achieved so far 
and um, where he's got to, you know, to make his debut in the first team at 18 is um, fantastic. Um, and he, he, well, he, he deserves it, to be honest. And um, he, he works really, really hard. He's um, ultra dedicated. Um, and I, I think I, I've got my fingers crossed now. If he keeps progressing the way he is, I think, um, you know, hopefully there'll be another bell chant um, for a lot of years to come at Bristol City. And have you been training him how to take a free kick? Um, well, he could have took the ones on the right side, on the um, other side, actually, because he's uh, right. He can actually kick with both feet, but um, he, he's predominantly right footed. But um, yeah, he could have, um, he, we could have been a kind of good uh, double act, to be honest, because uh, he could have took them on the other side. Um, and then we would have had uh, three of us on the ball then. <laughs> Excellent. Um, we've spoken about the chance and the, the feeling you get, Brian. Um, the importance of the 12th man is something that we've been robbed of this season. Uh, in your playing career, where was the sort of the most hostile place you went to to play? I think every every away game is the same. You know, you, you dislike, they don't want you to do well and they, they get behind the home team. So it was all, it was never comfortable to go away and play. Never. And, you know, and I was, I was certainly loved playing at home more than I did away because it was always, the, the, your back's against the wall a lot of the time, you know, and you have to fight and the home team's going to try and come out and cause you major problems and their fans are going to get behind them. So every away game is a really tough game, I think. And, um, it was much, I used to look forward to playing at home much more. I think we knew we'd get more joy at home. We'd get more chances to get forward and link and attack. So, yeah, we, we used to put we used to put teams to bed at home a lot early. You know, we used to go after them and we used to, we used to get in front a lot early and then we used to see teams off pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and for, for players who like to play football, like, like yourselves, you must prefer it. You know, we, we showed that clip earlier on of, of that goal at Ashton Gate, which, you know, Ashton Gate now is a carpet and great, you know, respect to Dan Sparks and the team down at Ashton Gate and the High Performance Centre, etc. But how, how good was it for you guys when you went to play on a pitch that was like a carpet versus a pitch that was a bit of a bog? Yeah, it was difficult because it's funny because where the, where the High Performance Centre is, when I first signed at Bristol City, that's where we first trained and it was just a field with a football pitch on it. And you look at it now, you turn up there now and you think, oh my God, the facilities they have now and the and the, the places to go and train and, and practice. Yeah, the boggy, horrible pitches weren't nice to play on. It wasn't easy to be honest, with, especially where me and Belly, I think, were footballers and we wanted to play football. But um, some of the pitches were really difficult and horrendous, to be honest, at times. But now they haven't even got the excuse of a bobble now, but they've tried to make enough excuses. But the training ground and everything now the, for young players like Sam, who, who Mickey says is an unbelievable talent and works so hard. They've got a place to go to work now, which, to be honest, if you don't want to go there and work and work hard to get better as a young player, then you're probably in the wrong business. Mm. And Mickey, same question to you, really, about um, you know places to go. Other than Ashton Gate, you must have liked going to going to games, going to away matches where there probably was a decent pitch, like a, a nice, you know, wide pitch. Not maybe not necessarily long pitch, but the wide pitch where you can where you can operate. I guess. Yeah, it's um, you know, you'd get, the grounds I didn't personally like um, were as you said the tight ones. Um, 
a lot of teams in the in the northwest, um, like Blackpool and um, Wigan, before they got their new stadium, and um, and like Brentford, um, you know, coming back down south, you know, they were all re- they were always tight, and they were really like they're really tough places to go and play. Um, you know, the crowd were on top of you. It, it felt like every every time you touched the ball, one of their players was you know close enough to make a challenge. Um, so it was it was them sort of tight, you know, horrible grounds that um, I personally didn't enjoy playing at. And as Bryce said, you just have to go there and um, grind them out. You know, you you really did. You had to go there and you know you had to earn the right to play. And sometimes I took you know, 70, 80 minutes of a game. Um, so, yeah, there's some difficult places. I think that, I mean, everyone, well, a lot of people talk about Millwall as a place to go in. I just thought it was weird. I don't know how Bry found it, but um, it was just blokes. Like, you went to Millwall and all the crowd were like blokes. It was just, there was no, there's no women or kids there, it seemed like. It was just mad. It's just like 30 to 50 year old blokes and they all looked like they wanted to kill you. Um, so yeah, that wasn't a very enjoyable uh, um, away day, I have to say. But um, but we we yeah, that, that them sort of grounds were the ones really the the tight ones, uh, the bobbly pitches, and uh, yeah, we didn't we we didn't enjoy playing on them. But we just you just got to get on with it, and you know, hopefully grind out a result. You know. Yeah, it's a good point you make about the sort of the Championship, League One, League Two. London grounds because I guess they're all quite compact, aren't they? Like Loftus Road, yeah. they're all quite on top of each other because there's not a lot of space uh, to build stadiums. But um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. Um, we we looked at a clip earlier, Brian, and you had on probably one of the worst football kits I think Bristol City have ever had. Um, let's talk about your favourite. If you could pick one shirt that you could you would have worn um, playing for Bristol City. What one would it be? I think the purple one at Anfield, the one that's come back, to be honest. It's such a an iconic shirt now, I think. And everybody seems to love it, you know. And it, it was great for the club to bring that shirt back. And I see so many of them about with people wearing them. And I think I think everybody loves that shirt, to be honest. And that would be the one. If I had a chance to pull on a shirt again and run out at Ashton Gate, that would be the one, I think. Purple and lime, yeah. No, it has it has come back, and I'm, I mean, I, obviously, there's been lots of different away shirts. The black, the black one. Um, you know, there's a, there was a white one. Um, yeah. Lots of different kits. Um, and actually, I remember um, at the the Wembley game, it was even a gold, the gold kit. I didn't, I wasn't I was overly keen on that myself. Mickey, any favourites or, or or horrible ones for you? Yeah, I think the first the first one. Um... You know, when I first came to the club, the kit we had that season, um, I, I really liked that one. Um, probably because obviously it's me, me first year and whatnot. Um, the the black kit and the white kit, as you mentioned, I really like that. Um, but yeah, that that golden blue thing we wore at Wembley, that was a real shocker. That was um, when it when they showed us that. I mean, I've never seen like I, I don't think any to a man. I don't think any of the players like looked at that kit and went oh I'm looking forward to wearing that <laughs> um yeah not not obviously playing at Wembley everyone's desperate to get in the team and that and you're thinking oh we, we're gonna have a lovely kit the the club um sorted us out with suits and you know everything so we looked the the business um off the pitch and then putting that kit on yeah it wasn't one of the, one of the greatest uh I've got to admit 
Yeah, no, I agree with you there. So we're on, I think, episode six or seven now of Robin's Reunited, and and a segment that sort of came naturally, it wasn't even planned, it was something that someone said probably in episode one, is uh, stories about Buster Footman. Um, so I want to get some stories from you guys. Uh, obviously, one of my favorites is is from Joe in episode one, where he <laughs> Buster would get the boxing gloves out if Joe didn't clean the change rooms and clean the boots to uh, to standard, which I don't think he ever managed to do. To be fair, but Brian, any uh, what a character Buster Footman? Any stories that stick out for you? Well, what I didn't used to like is when when he did have an injury, so he'd be an all day with Buster, Sergeant Major. You know, he'd be having you working your socks off. And it would get to about half four. Obviously, the lads were fit have, have gone home, trained, half one, done. And they'd get to half four and you think, right, Buster, see you tomorrow. And he'd go, see you at my house at half seven mm. in Port Dead. So he used to have to go home then go to his house at half past seven. And to be fair, him and Connie would be sat there. They'd be watching Coronation Street and he'd be, he'd be giving you treatment and he'd do you want a cup of tea? And he'd, he'd get you a cup of tea and he used to, he just didn't want you in the treatment room. He wanted you to be fit. So that was the one thing you didn't want to be when he was the physio, he was injured, for sure. Because that, that thought of the half four coming and him saying, see you at Porter's Head at the house at half seven, they'd be like, oh my God, are you joking, Buster? He'd say, no, see you later. You won't be injured long with me, he used to say. So yeah, I used to dread that shout at that half seven. Cup of tea with Buster watching bloody EastEnders. <laughs> Brilliant. And same question to you, Mickey. You must have some as well. Yeah, I'll just say same as similar. Similar to Brian, the first bit. He his work ethic as a physio was second to none. And um, yeah, you just hated being injured because you just you just knew you were going to be in twenty four seven. You had no days off. Um, Sundays you were in. Um, three, you know, the, you look, you'd be in on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week it was three times a day. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 sort of two things that stick out for me with Buster was um, them World War Two songs that he used to play in the dressing room, Bry. Oh my God! And um, he put them on. And uh, he, he used to, he, someone, anyone said anything to him, he'd be like, you know, shut up, dickhead. Like, you know, and he, <laughs> and he, he, he just had put these songs on and we won. And they, we went on a run of games. I think we didn't lose for, oh, I was well into double figures. And we, they just stayed for the whole season. So before every game, we'd be listening to these, you know, Vera Lynn and all them sort of songs. And that, it, it was, yeah, just, just a massive character, really. And, you know, so that, that you look back then in, in funny times in the dressing room and uh, great memories. And also we, we played down at Swansea on a, on a midweek night. I think that might have been a cup game. And it must have been minus 20. I'm not kidding you. I wore, I wore gloves. I think it was one of the only times in my career I wore gloves. And he slaughtered me for it. And during the game, I can remember feeling cold on the pitch. It was that cold, and I looked in the, I looked across to the dugout, and there he is with his grey t-shirt on, bottoms. I, I just looked at him. I just burst out laughing. I just, he, he was absolutely hard as nails. He really was. And I think, I, well, I, I think I did. I took my gloves off at half time for embarrassment. But, um, but yeah, he just never seemed to get affected by the cold. But um, yeah, hard as nails and a, a massive, massive character. That's what I remember 
Absolutely great, great stories. And yeah, it's 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 it, interesting that all the stories of, about Buster always comes down to him being hard as nails, never crossing a line with him, all of those sorts of stories. Yeah. So thanks for those. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast now, and we just want to talk about sort of the the end of of, of your Bristol City career. I'm going to come to um, to Mickey first. You actually went on to Port Vale and scored against Bristol City more or less straight away. How how was that? Did you celebrate? <laughs> No, no, I didn't actually. I think Sins must have been uh, in the dugout saying, did he just score a header? Because <laughs> um, I actually, yeah, as a header I actually scored. Um, near post, you know, what I was doing there, I have no idea. Um, and I just remember scoring and that. I actually, like, had a, I didn't celebrate, I didn't flinch, I just had a bit of a, um, sinking feeling in my stomach, really. Um, that's only how I can describe it. And I got a few, uh, you know, a, a bit of a ripple from the crowd. I got a bit of an, an applause from the crowd, um, um, which was brilliant. Um, but yeah, it was a real, um, you yeah, know, funny moment, really. I've, I've never, I never experienced that um, ever in my career, apart from that when you score a goal and you felt a bit gutted. Um, I was glad. <laughs> It's one of them where you want to sort of prove a point, but it's like where you when you do it, it's like yeah, just felt it was an odd feeling. Just felt um, felt a bit um, flat, really. But um, but yeah, yeah weird. Yeah. For for returning players coming back to Ashton Gate, you know, unless they've left under a particular cl- cloud with the fans, it's I, I I always quite you know like most City fans do like to welcome them back, and you always get that initial sort of clap when they announce the teams, but then you go and score against us, it becomes a slightly different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they they were right, actually the the fans were right. they were um, I think that's probably because I think that made the scoreline 4-2 or something like that. So they were winning. So I think they were I think they were all right. That game, Dave, Dave Cottrell came on um a sub second half. And uh you know Brian knows Dave really well obviously and he's got this little trick where he chops a ball back behind his um leg and he he'd go he'd go past defenders for fun doing it. And when Dave came on I thought oh no because he, he he was only a youngster at the time. And I thought, here we go. And he comes over to the right wing and I said, oh, and Cots, you're not going to do that trick thing on me, are you? <laughs> and he like looked at me and um, he sort of, his face went sort of blank. And every time he got the ball, he just tried to knock it past me and like run. And I was, I was over the moon, to be honest. I was really pleased because um, once he got twisting and turning with the ball, he was, he could be unstoppable at times, Dave. So yeah, I, I psyched him out a little bit on that one. Had a, had a bit of inside knowledge on him, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, when you return so quickly, it's um, you pro- they probably look to you to, to do the team talk. I expect, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. All that week, and you know, I was I was just looking at the um, obviously the the you know, the club had signed a few new players and whatnot, but um, you know, I just said to the said to the boys like, you know, you got to expect the, uh, you know, that they're going to come at us you know strong early like Bryce said what we always did at Bristol City we used to try to get at teams from the first whistle and um, I think it might have been it was two or three nil within 15 minutes I think I think Brooks Scotty definitely scored I think Brooks got one um, but yeah it was one of them at half time we were obviously down in the game and I said I told you 
You know what I mean? I, t- <laughs> I told you what was coming. Absolutely. But um, yeah, you know, knowing what's going to come in and, and doing something about it is two, two totally different things, really. So you made the transition into management with Cleveland Town, um, then to Western and now back to Cleveland Town. How, how, how are you enjoying the, the, the managerial role versus the playing role? Obviously very different. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, it, it, it is hard. There's a lot of, um, you know, non-league football to, um, to league football. It, they're, they're poles apart, really. You know, you, you're comparing apples and oranges. Um, and the problems and the difficulties you have um, are, are, are things that you, you just never dream of when you when when you're at a pro club. Um, so adapting to that was um, was good uh, was hard. Sorry, um, and then just the you know just trying to 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 make the the teams you're with you know how the how the players are you know in training. Um, and and that's what I've tried to do, Cleveland. Um, I've I've just tried to um, get that into the players, you know, the, the mentality um, to look after yourself better, and you know, make sure you're training hard. Um, you know, if you if you don't train, you're not going to play, and things like that, which is you know a bit different to what a lot of non-league clubs and players, you know, especially sort of from the Southern League down, are used to, you know. Um, but yeah, we, we brought that rule in a, cu- a couple of seasons ago um, and it's worked really well. We've got a really good young team um, leading up to lockdown. I think we won something like 14 out of 15 games and then unfortunately the, the season finished. And um, But yeah, it, it is it is a, a hard transition from, from pro football to, to non-league really, yeah. Well, all the very best for the future with with Clevedon. Um, Brian, when you came on the bonus show and we spoke about your then, as it was, new role of, of player pathway manager, we, we agreed that you would come on and talk about your City career, but you said would leave it when you finished playing. But you're here now, so you finished playing. <laughs> you finished playing, but to be fair, you finished seventh in your first season as manager. How was the transition for you in that first season and, and almost getting into the playoffs? Yeah, it was it was difficult, you know. That you've you've got a um, you've got a dressing room of people who you've you've become friends with, and you're close with, and then you have to make the difficult decisions when you're the manager. So it wasn't still football, which made it even more difficult, really, because I was I was on the pitch and still a player. So if, if I'm making mistakes, and how are you going to criticise other players for making this, the mistakes? It was tough. It was tough. I really enjoyed it, to be honest. And, I think we were better when I was playing, to be honest. And when I when I stopped playing, I found it harder because it, at least when I was on the pitch, I could influence it and um, and do things on the pitch that could help the team and help get results. But the hardest part came when I actually stopped, when I did stop playing. And I, I found that really difficult, to be honest. But mm. it's, it's a job that is harder than people ever think. Do you know what I mean? There's players, there's, there's loads and loads of players who who sit in the dress room and think, oh, I could be the manager and I could do this and I could do that. And I'd never, ever criticise another manager now because I know exactly how it is and how hard a job it is, you know, yeah. to, to to do every aspect. And to be fair then, the, we didn't have the infrastructure of the football club now. We didn't have the staff. We didn't have the... There was a lot, a lot of things that were, were not in place what are in place now, which 
probably helps the manager and makes it a, a little bit easier, to be honest. But it was something I couldn't turn down at the time. And um, I don't regret it at all, because I... Uh, it was something I did want to do at the time, but soon realised it probably wasn't um, it wasn't the job for me. And more developing young players and being involved with young players and helping them get careers was more for me. To be well, you actually went um, when you when you finished managing Bristol City. You actually went to play for Aldershot, which I didn't realise. Yeah, Martin Cool was the assistant manager, Cooley, and they had a, uh, they had a lot of injuries. Um, and they had about 10, 15 games left and were struggling at the bottom of, um, of the conference. So they asked if I'd go and um, go and play and help them because Darren Bernard was playing as well at the time for Aldershot. Oh, wow. Back up with Darren for the last about 10, 15 games. And to be honest, we won about seven. Stayed, we, we helped them stay up. I scored a couple of free kicks. Darren was wasn't them in as well. So once the job was done there, then, yeah, that was time to, um, time to call it a day. Yeah, well, there's a, a few maybe appearance doesn't say on Wikipedia, but a few appearances for Western and Team Bath apparently. But then you went off to do some coaching. Was it in Spain? Yeah, I ran an academy in Spain, my own academy, which I um, I linked up with another Jamie Fullertnax, who's just got the um, technical director's job at Walsall. We um, I worked in. We ran an academy on in Malaga, in San Pedro, from nine to um, to nineteen years of age, and had a lot of teams and we we won some leagues out there with we had like expats and Spanish players in there we had 200 players we had it was a brilliant experience and while I was there I uh, I got a call to work for um, Everton and David Moyes um, so I was scouting in Spain for seven years eight years watching La Liga Segunda and all the youth teams in uh, in Spain so I had a brilliant experience there really it really helped with the knowledge of the game and going back and in recruitment meetings with David Moyes and understanding how the process was. And so I've always, as Barry said, Tony Forthrop brought, brought us both here. And um, I lived next door to Tony for a long time. And we, I used to go out and watch games with Tony from I was 24, 25 years of age. So I've always been into that, watching games, finding young players and, and into the youth, really, and the, the development of young players, which... I'm lucky, really lucky to be in the um, in a job I am at the moment, helping these young lads and creating a pathway for them to play in our first team. Yeah, well, we we covered uh, the the player pathway manager role uh, to to great extent in in the bonus show um, going back a few months. So I'll post another link to that on our Twitter page at three p i a p c. So if you want to hear more about your current role, Brian, and obviously there's lots of stories to to be told there, then do listen back to that. But it was great for us as fans when you did come back because we never got a chance to say goodbye, um, and that's something that is always hard for fans. And obviously, you know with with Mickey coming back so soon with Port Vale, you, you've got a great round of applause. So it's, it's as fans, you know, particularly with you guys, for people that, have, that were there so long, um, you know, when you came back, Brian, it was great because we were able to sort of see you again, you know, it's um, and, and a fantastic job you're doing now. So we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much to both Brian Tien and Mickey Bell for joining us on Robins Reunited. Um, and we've got another one coming up next week, uh, Lee Peacock and Lee Matthews. So uh, strap oh, in. There you may. <laughs> All the best for that. Strap in oh. for that one. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would tell you about a few things with them too, but um, I'll, I'll leave. Uh, I'll leave that blank. Um, 
But yeah. I'm I, sure I they'll tell. Be listening to that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure they'll tell me the stories. They're, they're not backward at coming forward. Those two. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. Um, they've got, they've got plenty. I know that. <laughs> when I when I asked Joe um, how he would rate Lee Matthews and Lee Peacock, he said they were consistently an eight out of ten on a night out in Bristol, and that's oh. about as far as it went. So um, yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they could tell you anything. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's, there might be some um, investigations going on somewhere <laughs> that are left over from when they, them two went out. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, I'm gonna need to get some sleep the night before that one. Um, thank you again, Mickey and Brian. Hope for you guys enjoyed reminiscing and looking back on some old times, some old goals. Um, and thanks for joining us. If you liked listening please do like share and subscribe and we'll be back again soon cheers guys cheers yes cheers cheers buddy white rose the feeling of home warm smiles crash and burn